Okay, I've said enough. Let's bring in our guests. Let's get started. Robert Minter joins us, Director of ETF Strategy at Aberdeen. Robert, welcome to the show. Hi, Oliver. Welcome. Uh, thank you for uh, having me on the show. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that jumps out to me is the ETFs that are on your mind are generally those connected to the commodity industry. We're just looking at this moving crude. It seems like we can't go down past 90 bucks. Nat gas is going berserk. So did the uh, narrative about the commodity boom being dead get ahead of itself? Well, I found your earlier comments really interesting about the negative correlation between the dollar and commodities. Typically, it's it's one of the most dislocated charts that I can that I can find, and I, I, you know, I tend to like bumper sticker answers when they cover the bases. And <laughs> uh, I, I think of dollar and, and commodities being inverse, holding that inverse relationship when it's a demand story, but not when it's a supply story. And, and that's clearly where we are is a supply story. And that's that's really the arguments we get, the friendly arguments we get into is, uh, you know, is this a macro story or a micro story? And uh, it's pretty clear Jay Powell's told us it's, it's really not a macro story, it's a micro story. And they don't have a whole lot of levers to push to help supply problems. And uh, you're exactly right that, you know, you look at uh, what what oil has done uh, recently, uh, you know, gasoline and diesel storage tanks in New York Harbor are at the lowest level in three years. Uh, the Saudi prince noted yesterday there's a big disconnect between the physical and the futures market price for oil and an OPEC plus production cut must, might, might be needed. And uh, I, I'm sure that sent a little shiver in in, in some quarters, uh, particularly in Washington, uh, talking about a supply cut after all the work that's been done um, to kind of lower gasoline prices. And these SPR sort of strategic petroleum reserve emergency oil releases that have been going on for the last uh, four or five months, they're due to end sometime soon. Uh, it looks like about October. They could be extended slightly, but... Uh, that's a million barrels a day of oil that's been taken out of government hands, emergency use only uh, into commercial inventories. And it makes it looks like the inventories are, are rising on some weeks when in fact it's really it's really been falling pretty consistently when you adjust for that added uh, million dollar million barrels. And it's pretty uh, uh, amazing because we uh, are basically looking at uh, very limited, uh, supply-driven uh, changes, and uh, and even with the elevated price still, uh, the restraint uh, that it seems most producers, both here and now maybe also abroad, are exercising, I think has surprised a lot of people. Uh, is that your read, Robert, that uh, most were expecting that uh, Saudis would just start, uh, you know, flooding, getting the uh, pipes gushing, and that maybe we'd do the same here again? Well, it took us a while to get into this mess, and it's going to take a while to get out of it. Uh, you know, um, every year there's a there's a natural attrition rate of supply, and it's four to six percent uh, across the global sort of oil fields um, that supply the the supply of the market. So you need about five hundred billion dollars of capex every single year to replace that four to six percent, not to grow output but just to replace it, to maintain it. And over the last three or four years, we've been investing CapEx globally at about half that rate. So 
we've been digging this hole for several years. Um, there's a, there's a bunch of reasons why, but the way we have it right now is we've underinvested for the future. There's incredibly low spare supply. Uh, there's just not extra barrels of oil floating around waiting to be uh, to come onto the market, and demand is pretty resilient. So uh, hmm. that's that's a that's a really good spot to be if you're long oil. In addition, because of all the recession fears and news and newspaper headlines. Uh, the, the speculation has really come out of the market. And uh, very recently, I haven't checked today, but very recently, the, the market was actually net short oil. So um, that's, that's a, that, historically, that's been a, not a bad time to add to oil exposure. One of the funds that your team uh, has built to tracks a Bloomberg Commodity Index, BCI is the ticker, all commodity strategy. Tell us about what's in there. As uh, this includes uh, assets beyond just crude, uh, how is this constructed? What are we looking at? That's that's a really good uh, way to put it. It's so there are twenty three uh, commodities in that. It's it's basically the Bloomberg Commodity Index. We don't actively manage it. What you see is what you get, um, and uh, so there are six types of energy contracts. You know, there's a the two types of crude, Brent, WTI, there's a diesel, there's a gasoline, there's natural gas in the US version of natural gas. Uh, but what separates it from a lot of the other commodity indexes is um, some of the other ones will have a much higher weight to oil as much as 60%. And, and this has about 30. So, um, you know, at 60%, you might as well just buy an oil fund and get the exposure that you want. The other contracts, the other exposure you get is with industrial metals. You get precious, uh, silver, gold for precious metals. There are six types of agriculture grains. There are three types of soft agriculture contracts, and there are two livestock contracts. Uh, so it gives you a little closer to the actual uh, consumption level of the economy so you can get some some multiple benefits mm. the two sectors that we that we really like that we think are interesting right now are the energy sector and um, the the industrial metal sector what's interesting about that part and I'm glad you go there because we've been watching the struggle for some of the metals to take part in really any environment uh, gold seemingly falls short every time uh, it makes a move higher and then when stocks are down, it's uh, uh, been a, a, a flip basically of a coin any given day, not very reliable and generally kind of drifts down. During some of our big stock sell-offs, there was um, a, a bit of a bounce in gold, but it doesn't really seem to last. Uh, a silver, despite its industrial connections, similar uh, near the lows again. What do you make of what's happening in that part of the commodity complex? Precious metal is really interesting. Um, you know, I think the narrative is now out of the market that uh, some of the cryptocurrencies are digital gold. Uh, it's more like uh, the, when you look at the correlations, it's a lot closer to a small cap tech company sure. uh, for, for, for most crypto. And um, I think what you need, well, so the way I think about it is if you go back to, I, I went back to the end of 2017 and looked at 
some of the um, the FX changes versus the dollar because the dollar's been very strong. So who's held up and and who's just been cremated? And two of the the uh, currencies that really held up very very well are the Chinese currency and the Russian currency. And there's pretty good reason for that. Since 2009, both countries individually have purchased more than 50 million ounces of gold. And uh, they've effectively hardened their currency. They've, they've lowered the amount of exposure to the dollar in their uh, reserve basket. And that has served them very well. They also are commodity producers, which has helped. But um, like we were talking earlier, that really hasn't helped everyone the same. And so we think that that um, you know gold hasn't been taught in in economics classes for uh, you know since since before the 1970s. So there really aren't anybody uh, there aren't many people walking around that that understand that it's it's really M zero. It's the base of most of the uh, most of the the Federal Reserve uh, currency and, and other central bank currencies. So hmm. um, it is far less volatile than a, a, a cryptocurrency. It is um, it does diversify. Uh, it, it is not going to shoot the lights out in most situations. Hmm. And uh, in most situations, it is going to provide a, a downside. We saw a lot of interest from people that were uh, looking for higher rates and didn't want to take on the duration risk of um, you know, uh, like a, an aggregate type fixed income index uh, that, that were interested in gold as a sort of, I hate to say cash surrogate because we all understand it, it's sure. not, but something that's low, lower volatility to kind of wait out some of these mm. uh, indecisive points. I like the point is it um, being maybe uh, an alternative to just um, not having money at work to uh, cash on the side where you're not expecting it to hit a home run, uh, but maybe if things do get ugly again, uh, it doesn't do as bad as the sell-off in bonds or the sell-off in stocks. Robert, thanks for your perspective. A great conversation for us to kick off the show here as commodities remain a really important focus. Appreciate it. Thank you. Sure thing. Robert Mentor, Director of ETF Strategy at Aberdeen.